for using leverage with a self-directed IRA. Hey everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. On today's AdBits, going to talk about how you can use leverage with a self-directed IRA to make investments. And everyone knows that leverage is king, right? What's leverage? It's borrowing money. It's using other people's money, OPM. Every good investor, especially every good real estate investor, will tell you that always try to use other people's money, right? You get more bang for your buck, more opportunity. If you have $100,000, you may only be able to buy one home. Whereas if you had $100,000 and then borrowed 200,000 more, now you have 300,000 and maybe you can buy three homes or maybe three homes in 2010, definitely not in 2022, but you get my point. When you borrow money, you got more buying power. So when it comes to a self-directed IRA or a 401k, what are some tips to think about when you are considering using leverage to buy real estate? Number one, based off Internal Revenue Code section 4975, the leverage must be non-recourse. You are not allowed to personally guarantee a loan where the IRA or 401k is a borrower. That's not my rule, that's under 4975C. So you cannot personally guarantee an obligation of your IRA or your 401k. That means the loan must be non-recourse. And a non-recourse loan essentially means you, you do not personally guarantee the loan. So essentially the borrower, the IRA or 401k, and the lender, the bank, the third party, if the borrower stops paying or there's a default on the loan payments, the lender's only recourse is to take back the underlying asset, that piece of land or that real estate property. There is no personal guarantee. They cannot go after Adam Bergman and my dogs, my house, my car, take my wife, <laughs> my kids. Um, no, all they're able to do is take the underlying asset, which secured the loan, the real estate. Whereas if you get a traditional mortgage, right? You buy a house, you stop paying, they can put you in the bankruptcy. They will certainly take your property, but if you don't have enough equity in that underlying asset to cover the mortgage, assuming you saw this in 08 or 09, how many people went bankrupt because they didn't put any money down, right? Maybe they put 1%, 2%, 5% down, the market tanked 40%. They had no equity in the home and they were on the hook. So, the non-recourse gives you more security as the borrower. The issue is the lender is going to want you to pay more. Why? Because they're taking more risk. So generally, on a loan involving non-recourse, um, a non-recourse loan, the borrower will need to put down at least thirty percent. You know, I've seen non-recourse lenders ask between thirty and fifty percent. Some non-recourse lenders won't work in specific states where it's harder, for example, to repossess the property. Okay. They also are going to want to charge you more in terms of interest, right? Again, all about risk reward. So if you're a client of Iron Financial, we work with a number of really, really good non-recourse lenders that have helped our clients over the last 12 years use a non-recourse loan to buy real estate. So that's not an issue. The issue is obviously the cost, right? You're going to have to come up with more money as a down payment. You're going to probably pay more points. And depending on when your asset is where it's located, you may or may not be able to get a non-recourse lender. Now, if that's not bad enough, 
Well, that's not more challenging. Under Internal Revenue Code, Section 514, an IRA that uses a non-recourse loan to buy real estate could be subject to a tax known as the Unrelated Business Taxable Income Tax, or UBTI, also known as UBIT. And this tax imposes a well, 37% tax on the debt finance portion of the asset. And when I say 37%, that follows the 2022 trust tax rates. And that's the maximum rate. The only problem is that maximum rate is hit very, very low. So when you're around 20 or so thousand, that's when that 37% maximum tax rate applies versus if you're an individual taxpayer, you're not going to pay the highest maximum tax rate until you're you know, in the 400s plus. So generally the 600s, if you're married, file jointly. So it's a, it's a very painful tax. It's a ugly four-letter word, UBIT, UBTI. And unfortunately, a lot of IRA investors aren't aware of it. So how do you calculate it? Okay, just so you have kind of a base understanding. Let me give you a simple example. Let's say Adam uses, I use my IRA and I have $100,000 in my IRA and I find a non-recourse lender through IRA Financial and I borrow 100,000. So I have 200,000, I buy a nice home. Um, not easy to find, but I found a nice home for $200,000 and I'm gonna rent it out, okay? And after expenses and depreciation, I have $10,000 net. And, in the bank account as a net profit for that year, okay? How much of that is subject to the UBIT tax? Well, what you do is you take the amount you put in, the 100, and then you add that with the debt, right? So 100 divided by 200, debt first equity, that's 50%. And then 50% of the 10,000, which is the net net amount from the underlying investment property, or 5,000 in my example, would be subject to the UBIT and then the tax rate would apply. Now, if you have less than $1,000, there's no UBIT tax. So they give you a $1,000 leeway. Wow, so generous. But being serious here, a lot of real estate deals, there's no net profits for some time, right? There's all these expenses. That's, that's why a lot of real estate investors like to use pass-through vehicles because all those losses will pass through and hopefully offset other sources of income. So the UBIT tax on a net net factor isn't as relevant for many real estate investors because the first several years, there's no net profits. This is the other issue is when you sell the property, if the loan is still outstanding and has not been paid off prior to 12 months before the sale, that sale, which should be tax exempt because it's an IRA or 401k, would be subject to this 37% UBIT tax. Okay, so even if you can get around the net income because you basically zero out your um, income with all your expenses, when you sell that asset, if the loan is still outstanding within 12 months of sale, meaning you have not paid it back in full within 12 months of sale, the sale could be subject to the UBIT tax, assuming there's gains. So, you know, not the prettiest set of circumstances. It's an ugly four letter word. And it's self-reporting. You file a 990T April 15th. You don't pay the tax. Your IRA does. Your IRA would get a tax ID number, file the 990T, and send a check to the government. Um, and 
unfortunately, a lot of the stuff gets unreported. Why? If you invest in a real estate fund and you get a K-1, if they're not providing you the UBIT info below on the K-1 and um, box 22, I think, um, you're not going to know, right? You're not going to have access to the books and records. You're not going to be able to know. And in fact, the IRS probably won't know either if the K-1 doesn't reflect it. Now, if the K-1 reflects business income, business income is subject you know, to UBIT. There's three ways to trigger UBIT and IRA. Use a loan to buy stock, non-recourse loan to buy stock, known as margin. You are use a non-recourse loan to buy real estate. And then thirdly, if you invest in an active trader business, like a real estate development company, that's a pass-through entity that's operated through an LLC or partnership. The business operates through a corp like Apple or Tesla. You don't pay any, any UBIT tax. The corp locks out the UBIT because the corporation has an entity level tax. But if you use a pass-through entity like an LLC, there's no entity level tax. Okay, so um, that's where you need to um, be cautious. Um, so, sorry, it's box 20 on the K-1. That's where the UBIT would be identified. Um, there'd be a code for the UBIT. Um, where they would provide you um, that information. But again, if you're investing in a real estate fund, you, they may not provide you that info and you may not know it. So it's awfully difficult. Whereas if you're the, the sole owner of the house, your IRA is the owns the house and you're in control of that IRA through an LLC as a manager, you can have a little bit more control over that process. And you're probably gonna know um, if there is um, UBIT, for example. Okay? So, um, just, you know, just kind of remember that. Um, so it's code V is in Victor in box 20, excuse me. Um, one exception here. I talked, I'm talking IRAs. 401k is under 514c9. If a 401k, not an IRA, uses a non-recourse loan to buy real estate, there's an exemption around the UBIT tax. Okay, so you're saying, well, that's crazy. How, why should IRAs and 401ks have different rules? I don't know. You know, I've looked at legislative history. The only thing I can consider is that they wanted to give, Congress wanted to give pension plans more investment um, opportunities, more investment choices than IRAs. I don't know. But bottom line, if you're in the IRA world, you want to use leverage to buy real estate because prices are too high or you just want more buying power, then consider, if you can, the solo 401k. If you have any self-employment income, whether it's selling shoes on eBay, consulting, math tutor, any 1099 income, you drive for Uber, uh, DoorDash, Lyft, whatever. Even if it's 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, we can set up a solo K. You can roll your IRA funds tax-free into the solo K. Solo K gets the loan, non-recourse loan, buys the real estate, bang. No UBIT tax because you're using a 401k instead of an IRA to use leverage. So if you're a real estate investor, you love using other people's money, you want to supercharge your returns and you want to use non-recourse loan, let us know. We can help you. But if you have that 401k already, then consider investing through the 401k. Take advantage of the exemption that you've been under 514c9 and really supercharge um, your retirement um, growth through the use of leverage. So just to recap and put it all together, if an IRA invests in real estate, number one, the loan must be non-recourse tips, you're probably going to need to put at least 30% down. You're going to pay more points. Depending on the state, you may or may not be able to get a lender. 
If you have questions or client of IRA Financial, contact us. You can send an email to compliance at IRA Financial or info at IRA Financial. Just say, hey, I need some non-recourse lenders. We'll send them to you. Give us a call if you're a client. We'll send you our uh, core lenders that we work with who have helped our clients over the years. Um, what else to consider? Well, you can now understand UBIT. You understand the potential 37% tax. You know you have to use a non-recourse loan. You know how to calculate the UBIT. You should also know that there is a potential solution around it. That is setting up a solo 401k instead of an IRA to buy the real estate with leverage and the exemption under 514c9 could block the UBIT or exempt it. One other way to get around UBIT, if you are not self-employed, you can't get into a solo K, you're let's say retired, disabled, you got a full-time job, you just have no time to do anything on the side. You can do what's called a blocker, set up a C-Corp. So your IRA invests in a C-Corp and your C-Corp buys the real estate. It's not going to eliminate the UBIT, but it will take it to 21%, which is the corporate level tax on the federal level. It could also be some state tax, but on the federal level, you'll go from 37 to 21. Good, not great, right? Ideal, get into a solo K and go 37 to zero by using a non-recourse loan to buy real estate. So there you go. That are some of the tips you should consider when you're thinking about using leverage to buy real estate in an IRA. And now hopefully you understand that there's also a really attractive option if you use real estate, if you wanna use leverage to buy real estate in a 401k, take advantage of the exemption under 514c9 and get around the UBIT tax, which can go as high as 37% and turn a really attractive investment into uh, a very tax inefficient one. So there you go. Thanks so much for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. And hopefully you subscribe to our amazing channel uh, where we drop generally four to five videos a week and three podcasts. And I tend to do a YouTube live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you'll get notified when I go live and I'm Depending on what's going on in the world, I may go live and maybe there's a, a current event or a case that drops or new IRS legislation or a new private letter ruling that I want to discuss involving self-direct retirement accounts or investments. So um, subscribe. It's free. Why not? You've got nothing to lose. And uh, I promise I will do my best to pump out the most cutting edge, um, easy to digest uh, content out there on the self-direct retirement world. So Thanks again for spending some time with me today and I'll uh, check everyone again out next Tuesday. Take care.